You're listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and I'm ready for my first meal at Romero's. My name is Stephanie, and I'm not here this week. But that's okay. Uh, uh, I'm on my own. We're going to have a little interview. Uh, actually, it, it's more of a, uh, a little pre-game tailgate party uh, before the season four premiere uh, with friend of the pod, iZombie writer Bob Dearden. But... Before we get into that, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, first off, we're a member of the DC TV Talk Network. Check out DC TV Talk for all your DC TV podcasting needs. That's dctvtalk.com. Also, we want to recommend the app from our friends at TV Time. If you like to share what TV shows you're watching and if you want to join the global community of TV watchers where our podcast, among others, is currently streaming, download the TV Time app today and go to tvtime.com for more details. Okay. Our friends at rosemckiversource.net have in- info uh, about Rose McIver's latest project, which is an adaptation of a New Zealand stage musical called Daffodils. That's right. Rose is starring in a movie musical. So if you love Rose's voice from um, even Cowgirls Get the Black and Blues, or if you've caught some of her YouTube duets with singer Elvie Yost, I think I'm pronouncing that right, you'll get a chance to see her in a straight-up musical. Uh, She's in Wellington, and she's working on it right now, and uh, should be out in 2019. So we may not get our iZombie musical, but we'll get some Rose singing. Um, Clive fans, if you want to see Malcolm Goodwin play another badass in an earlier role, uh, you should really check out Breakout Kings. This was uh, a few years before iZombie started, and it was a spinoff of Prison Break. It was basically... Uh, prison inmates that got to be released from prison to help law enforcement take down bad guys. Malcolm played one of those inmates, and uh, it also stars Jimmy Simpson from uh, Westworld and um, uh, Black Mirror, the USS McAllister episode. Um, I tell you all this because uh, it's leaving Netflix, uh, streaming at least. Um, On March 13th, season one is going to disappear. And on March 30th, season two is going to uh, disappear as well. So if you're looking for something to binge next month, I'd say check that out. It's a a pretty good show. Ravi fans, good news. We have a date for Raul Coley's Netflix movie, which he stars in with Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec and Noelle Wells from Master of None. Both great shows. It's called Happy Anniversary. And I believe it's a comedy and not many details have been released, but it will be premiering on, on Netflix on March 30th. And, um, sounds like Steph and I might have another movie to drink wine through. I don't know. What do you think? Do you, did you like the commentary for Rose's movie, A Christmas Prince? Or would you like us to just kind of do a straight up review like we did with David Anders movie, The Revenant? Not that The Revenant, the other The Revenant. Anyway, let us know. Uh, If you like commentary or you just want a a fun review, uh, we can do either. 
Uh, or we can do neither. <laughs> uh, all right. So finally, we have your uh, us a official plot synopsis put out by the CW for the season four premiere. Are you ready for some zombies? Um, this episode is going to be written by Rob Zo- Rob Rob Zombie. <laughs> I don't think that's the first time I've made that mistake on this show. Uh, Rob Thomas and directed by Rob Zombie. Just kidding. Directed by Dan Etheridge. Uh, here's your description. Your favorite Zomcom rom drum is back for season four. While investigating the murder of a Seattle Seahawks superfan, Liv has a surprising vision. Meanwhile, Major is assigned the task of mentoring young homeless zombies and Ravi is still carrying a torch for Peyton, of course. Lastly, Blaine is dealing with a threat looming from his past. Dun, dun, dun. We understand that your husband might not have had the most enlightened views about zombies. Who needs enlightenment, am I right? You're not in Seattle anymore. This is new Seattle. It's lucky for us they did wall the city. If all you innocent humans left, they'd drop an atom bomb right on Pioneer Square. Our goal here is to prevent the formation of zombie street gangs. We're zombie town. Packaging human brains by day, cleaning them out of the grinders by night. You'd probably enjoy licking the brain bowls clean. Of course, I'm fine. This new world's gonna take some getting used to. Are you a zombie? What zombie lover? Someone is selling brains on the black market. <laughs> that is not an easy thing to see. That's about to get real. Zombie season premiere Monday, February 26th on the CW. Cliff, Clive, to what do we owe the pleasure? That's all that's left to say before the interview. Just remember, iZombie is back on February 26th at 9 p.m. That's a Monday. Watch it live, and if you're on Twitter, make sure to tweet that you're watching it and hashtag it iZombie. Uh, I'm hoping to get a live show set up for us later that week on Mixler.com, if I can figure it out. Uh, stay tuned to our social media accounts for any announcements pertaining to that. I think we're shooting for a Thursday recording for that, and I'll also be doing another bonus interview uh, that weekend. So lots of stuff to look forward to. And before we go to our chat with Bob Dearden, a warning to all the spoiler phobes. I have a bunch of questions for him. And for the first part of it, I'm asking uh, some questions left over from my recent rewatch of the series. But after that, I'm going to be asking a lot about season four. So if you want to know absolutely nothing about the season going in, you may want to stop when I start asking about it. However, I'm sure that he'll want to preserve a lot of surprises ahead. So you might want to stick around and kind of hear me try to pry information out of him. Actually, uh... He emailed me uh, yesterday and said that he might just be throwing fake spoilers at me left and right. So that would be fun. Um, so he's a great guy. I appreciate him joining us. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into our talk with Bob Dearden. Welcome to the show, Bob Dearden. Hey. Hey. <laughs> All right. So um, my first bit of questioning for you and uh, uh, thank you for being here with us, by the way, I should say. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my first bit of questioning for you is I just got done with the rewatch. So I kind of have a, what's the deal with section, (laughs) you know, like a very Seinfeldian, what's the deal with, (laughs) what's the deal with live eating brains? (laughs) 
<laughs> my Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. Perfect. Uh, could you do that for the rest of the episode? Uh, be great. <laughs> well, George. Uh, to tell him uh, in this so that he sees it and, and that we can, he and I can start working together. Then, sure. Then I'm all. Yeah. I mean, I know he's following us, so. <laughs> <laughs> He's a huge fan of the show, little known fact. Yeah, yeah, huge eyes on me. Yeah, actually, huge Steph fan. That's that's what Jerry is. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, uh, first I wanted to start off talking about the uh, brain tubes. I, I actually didn't have a question. I just wanted to say it was a it's a great idea. I was actually I I rewatched the series and reread the comic, and I noticed that uh, partway through the comic. Um, uh, Kennedy gives Gwen a brain smoothie and she says it's so the voices all kind of get mixed together and it doesn't bother you as much. So I didn't even notice that was kind of adopted from the comic until I reread the comic again. So I don't know. I just wanted to give a kudos. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I read the comics years ago before we shot the pilot and, um, that's probably the last time I really did like an in-depth deep dive, in-depth deep dive. Um, last time I really, you know, um, got into them, uh, we've referenced them a couple of times since then, but, uh, I'm just not that like, you know, at this point in the show, it's diverged so much that personally, I don't know a whole lot about, um, uh, you know, where the comics took that story anymore. A lot of the, a lot of those memories have sort of faded. Um, but I know Robin Diane, Diane especially is a huge fan, uh, of the comics and, mm-hmm. It's quite possible that they took that idea from uh, from Mike and Chris. Oh, it's so funny. I, I hadn't read them actually since before we started uh, watching the show too. So uh, I remember reading them the first time going, how are they going to pull this off on a CW show? <laughs> but uh, I, I love it. I, it it's, uh, it's, it's a different direction for, for the property, but like a, a really fun and, you know, obviously – I've been covering it for four years now, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think what happened in the beginning is that, you know, it, it is a great comic, but it's just, um, there's so many supernatural elements and the, yeah. the scope of it so um, so much broader than our show that I think the first thing that Rob and Diane were sort of, um, you, know, you know, seeing as a bit of an obstacle or a bit of a challenge in terms of how to adapt it was uh, making it shootable, making it producible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing was just having a sort of... Um, you know, the procedural engine of the show and those factors in combination, I think, are what ultimately led to, uh, you know, the shift from Gwen being a, um, a grave digger to live working in the police morgue. And that gave us the, you know, it gave us the producibility uh, where we could have the, you know, the morgue as a standing set and Ravi is her boss slash confidant mm-hmm. um, and to have her partnering up for the cop and Clive that, you know, gave us a case every week. Obviously the, you know, the fact that she was on, uh, you know, the, the different brain every week is, is very similar to what she does in the comic and, and also in terms of taking on some of their memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to shift that to a, you know, a context in which it was going to be shootable and something that we could, uh, sort of reproduce week after week, uh, is what led to the, the big changes from what they do in the comic book. Um, okay. So, uh, first I wanted to talk about, uh, mainly I have some season three questions to begin with. Um, just some, again, what the deal, what's the deal with, um, in the season premiere, an unknown friend, uh, we don't really know who it is, but someone calls Peyton and points out that someone's been tweeting ugly, scary stuff at Peyton. And, uh, do you remember this? 
it's coming back to me. Yeah. So, it, so it's, it, it's kind of, you know, it serves the purpose of pushing her towards Blaine because first she calls Ravi kind of worried about it. He doesn't pick up his phone cause he's all sore. So she calls Blaine right. and then they start hanging out again. So I, I just was wondering, was there more planned about this online troll or maybe were we just to assume that it was Mr. Boss, you know, tweeting from across the border or, or even could it have been Blaine? Like, setting the whole thing up because you know he's secretly evil uh well that is interesting and that to be honest that is a, a plot point that um until now i had forgotten about <laughs> um i think it, it was just meant to um the, the first thing you mentioned it was just sort of meant to put her in a position where she wanted um you know she didn't feel entirely safe uh and, and felt a little bit unsettled in the wake of uh, everything that had happened in season two um, and it, it gave a good sort of uh, a framework for the the burgeoning uh, conflict, I guess, between her and Ravi um, and, and the burgeoning romance between her and Blaine uh, that, you know, sort of set things in motion for the first half of the season. Uh, I don't believe it had any um, any grand big picture intentions with paying that paying that off. I think it was just more to to set up what we wanted to set up with that uh, love triangle, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next question is, I mean, this is a big one and I don't even know if you can reveal this or not, but, um, when exactly should we think that Blaine got his brain, he got his mind back because he does say he like, you know, when he, when he reveals to Peyton that he's, that he's still himself, he said it was like, you know, 24 or 48 hours. So that we're to assume that what maybe he got it back in season two, even <laughs> season two finale. He already had his mind back. Uh, well, my math is going to be off on this. I don't mm-hmm. remember offhand exactly when he started losing his memory. I and mean, there were some scenes where, uh, you know, he called Donnie Scott E by accident and that yep. sort of thing right in the aftermath of taking the cure. Uh, if memory serves, I think that was meant to be genuine, but the, I think the sort of um, comparison that we use is what Major went through, right. uh, you know, with his memory loss. Um, and again, the specific math escapes me, but I feel like it was it was between a day and two days. Right. Uh, I think it was. I think Blaine is more or less telling the truth when he says twenty four to forty eight hours, and uh, and so for you know a brief period there, uh, he did actually lose his memory um, when it came back to him. Uh, you know, the, the sort of light bulb eureka moment of uh, playing it as a uh, permanent memory loss um, sort of occurred to him in the, in the wake of that. Yeah. Cause he, he, like you said, he wakes up with no memory and well, it's episode 17. I have written down here. I have things written in front of me so I can cheat <laughs> uh, reflections of the way live used to be. And during that episode, he's told by Ravi all the terrible things he's done and then 18 and 19 are a two-parter. But really what sticks out to me and where I'm – my theory is um, he suddenly knows where that cache of weapons are uh, is when uh, he and Ravi have to go save Peyton. So I figured it was right around then that he got his mind back. But. Yeah. I mean that makes sense and I, I – uh, your cheat sheet shouldn't actually give you an advantage in this case because I wrote 217 and yet I uh, – That's right. Um, I, I think, um, in my mind anyway, like when we were discussing all of this, um, not to, to, you know, pull the curtain back too much, but, 
some things, some uh, plants and payoffs are known from the very first plant. Mm-hmm. Um, once a, a story goes down a certain path, we have every intention of uh, twisting it and turning it when we do and ending it the way we do. Uh, other storylines, um, we start down a path without actually knowing 100% what the final destination is going to be uh, or, or the final resolution is going to be. And so I think um, in this case, it was a little more of the latter. I think there was definitely a big picture plan, but we gave ourselves uh, you know, sort of a, enough, um, enough of an open-ended uh, kind of beginning to that whole storyline and middle of that storyline that we had options uh, as to how we wanted to resolve it. Um, and I don't believe that we actually, uh, again, without, you know, showing too much how the sausage is made, uh, you know, I don't think we knew for sure when we gave Blaine his memory loss that it was going to pay off as something that was real for a very short period of time that he then turned into a, uh, you know, a scheme or a con. Um, but I do like the idea that, uh, somewhere in that discussion, with Ravi and Major uh, in Ravi's office where he learns of all the horrible things he's done, uh, whether he had his memory back then or whether that just stayed with him when he did get his memory back, I feel like that's a an important moment for him in the processing of what, uh, you know, what his options might be going forward. If, if everyone thought his memory loss was genuine, they knew he'd done all these bad things, but they weren't treating him like the asshole that he was, yeah. I feel like that, that scene had been a window into, you know, what, what he could do to make this, uh, side effect work for him. And really like one of the biggest things where I think all iZombie fans were, uh, glued to the screen was, uh, in the next season where he's signing over his inheritance to Angus and Angus is really trying to push his buttons, but he's not going for it at all. So if he did have his mind back at that time, uh wow that was he gave a, he gave up a lot to be you know accepted by the gang and accepted by Peyton. I mean he was going full method by that point. Yeah, um, <laughs> he certainly did have his memory back, but that is a uh, I mean that's quite a performance and quite a um, you know just a, a willingness to go all the way uh, with that plan. I think that sort of that loss of that income was softened to a certain extent by the fact that his criminal empire was doing quite well and continuing oh, yeah. to grow. Um, so it's not like hurting for money, but I mean, I think it was uh, like 150 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a chunk of money to give up for, uh, you know, to keep this facade going into, um, uh, you know, to whatever ends ultimately he, he was aiming for, uh, you know, Peyton being, I think the, the biggest motivating factor at that point. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big chunk of money to give up. It's in a way. Pretty romantic for you know a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys keep making us watch a root for him, even though we have to keep constantly reminding him, reminding ourselves that he murdered uh, a bunch of runaway kids and he murdered Lowell. So you know that's like the biggest offense, of course. Uh, I don't think there's a topic that he hasn't murdered. He just he just kills everyone. Um, oh. And yeah, singer, great piano player. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard to it's hard to do things against each other. Yeah. So I get I get why people torn. Um, my next question is about, uh, well, Vivian Stoll. Um, she's yep. was the recurring actor, uh, recurring character. Um, but Andrea Savage did get booked on, I'm sorry. So, uh, her helicopter went kaboom. Um, I, I was yep. just w- wondering if there was like a, like an alternate season three, if, uh, Vivian stayed around. 
Or well, am I, I reading guess, that all wrong? <laughs> no, you're reading that absolutely right. Um, and I think Rob's been on the record about this too. I mean, there, um, you know, there was a plan going into the season that she would at least carry through to the end of the season. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for her, obviously, that the show that she, um, I believe, had a, a big hand in creating yeah. and was starring in, uh, you know, got picked up earlier than expected, and so she was no longer available. And uh, you know, that that uh, forced us into a corner a little, a little bit in terms of how to resolve that storyline. And I think we had one day. Like it was very immediate and very sort of all-consuming. The sort of um, responsibilities she, she suddenly had for her other show. Um, and I think we got one day uh, to to shoot with her uh, to to wrap everything up, um, which was great. You know, it was very generous. For I think she came up on a weekend or something when she was like in the midst of getting her own show up and running. Um, but you know, we we had to uh, we had to sort of have an, an emergency. What do we do? Sort of talk that tabled everything else because we were ahead of whatever episode that was like we were already discussing the episode that was like two or three down the road mm. um so we uh, you know sort of retroactively make some changes to her storyline which then had a domino effect for the you know few episodes that we had already sort of broken to that point and of course the the plans that we had softly made for the rest of the season mm. um i think in the big picture though it didn't it didn't change too too much i think that um what you saw within Fillmore Graves uh, was kind of what was planned from the beginning, just, you know, with, um, with Jason Doring's character, Chase, uh, you know, kind of at the head of that organization instead of her. So obviously there are different people and they had different, um, different ways of dealing with all the sort of fires they had to put out. Um, but the, you know, the big picture of, uh, how season three ended up, uh, was always going to happen. It was always planned anyway. Um, I think one thing that maybe changed a little bit was we were trying to slowly build in a relationship between her and Liv, a bit of a sort of a mentor, um, kind of relationship. And we wanted, uh, you know, Liv to be sort of torn between, um, what she felt were pretty sensible points that Vivian was making, uh, and a sensible strategy for zombies going forward. And, you know, the, the implications for all of Liv's, uh, human friends and, and for life as she knew it previous to Fillmore Graves, uh, you know, being part of the picture. Um, so that we didn't get to do obviously with Jason Doring. We did some other <laughs> things with their relationship, um, that were a lot of fun. And, you know, obviously Jason is a, uh, an, an alumnus of the, you know, Veronica Mars family and a uh, big fan favorite. So we were really, really happy to yeah. be able to, sad as it was to lose Andrea, it was a pretty big score to get Doring in there. Um, and I think it, you know, it pays off a lot in, in where we, uh, we further that character in some of those relationships in season four, but yeah, you know, D-Day was always going to happen. Uh, one way or another, and there was always going to be a, like an, a faction within Fillmore Graves that was uh, uncovered to be, you know, kind of working behind the scenes to to force their hand and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, there was one thing that happened during season or episode one where she swears revenge on whoever um, killed her husband, and it's obvious he was getting his brains from somebody, and then he disappeared when he decided to get off the plan, which is obviously. It's always referring to Blaine when it's the plan, you know? Um, so I was really excited about Vivian meeting Blaine. And as you said, you know, she is developing that relationship with Liv and Liv being torn. Obviously, Blaine is something that would probably, you know, do I let her kill him? Or, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm assuming there right. might have been something in that. Yeah, direction. that right. That was something that we 
we did have to leave off the table. That was, um, I don't remember that we had a specific, uh, you know, beat or, or story point mapped out. I just know that we lay that in because we were going to build some sort of meeting between Vivian and Blaine, some sort of conflict with them, which unfortunately we never got to. Um, but that is still, uh, you know, potentially something that could come up again, not to, not to give anything away, but, um, well, if I'm I mean, not mistaken, that was, uh, he's his brother. Yeah. yeah. See, that, that's where I got my, I have my, like, you know, my, my, my crime sniffers hat on, like, <laughs> like on my detective hat on, uh, so, so in the season finale, Chase rejects Blaine uh, for his like help with you know getting brains when he offers his services. And I'm wondering, could Chase perhaps maybe be looking for a little revenge? Maybe he knows. Um, uh, well, I mean, he does seem a, a revengey type guy. Yeah. Um, so you never know. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say yes or no to that theory. I think it's a great theory, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's some fun with the. Um, evolving relationship between chase and blaine going forward in season four cool uh and maybe i'll just leave it at that all right (laughs) (laughs) well it chase is vivian's brother or is he vivian's husband's brother i i could never get that straight uh vivian's husband's brother okay i hope i have that right yeah it's there it's she he is her brother-in-law okay yeah. And then we had Zach Stoll, who is in there, who had Vivian's last name as well, but they never explicitly said that's Vivian's brother. <laughs> but right, yeah, sometimes, sometimes ideas uh, are seeded and then and then just not tended to in the in the garden of eye zombie storytelling. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it gives uh, us lots of stuff to kind of pick at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I get it, and that's uh, I think a few fans. I've seen on Twitter, we're noticing that as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of those things where we we had ideas when we uh, invented that character. Um, so you know, he he was named uh, Stole for a reason. Mm-hmm. We just never, with with her leaving, especially, we just never got around to developing that. And then it just seemed that at a certain point, like there's there's with any show, uh, there's always going to be these um, you know kind of expositional threads where. Yeah, we understand that certain questions may be unanswered if we thought a story was going one way and then took it in a different direction. But to address those threads sometimes is just uh, it's just taking up space when we need that space for other stuff. So mm-hmm. it's that's again a little bit of the sort of tedium, I guess, of, of making television that you know uh, that behind the scenes logistical stuff that goes on that uh, you know is a lot less interesting i think to people that are watching it because everyone wants to develop their own theories and fill in their own blanks and i am 100 percent like that when i'm watching shows too so i get it but the the truth of the matter is there are just some threads that are left because we thought we were going one way we didn't go that way and it would just take space to explain uh you know the reason for that thread to be out there in the first place um, all right. So I was going to ask you some, what's the, some more, what's the deal with questions, but I feel like we need to get to some season four stuff before I keep you, uh, here too long. Um, uh, although, uh, all right, well, I do have a list of, of names here. Okay. So basically what I need to ask is like, after this, like mini zombie apocalypse D day, I have a list of names and I need to ask you, are they Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and will we ever see them again? Uh, okay. You know, and obviously tell me if you can. Um, uh, the, my first name, just 
I, these are going to be random names to begin with. I'm sorry, but um, Coleman Baker, the private investigator, played by Ro- Roger Cross, he was in uh, Dirt Nap Time, and I just, yeah. I like that actor. So I was assume I was hoping we'd see him back again. Um, not so far. Okay, I, we haven't decided that he uh, you know is off the table for good, but he does not reappear in season four. Okay. How about Harry, the uh, prosecutor in the Weckler case? He was played by Adam Kaufman. Mm-hmm. He he had a couple of good scenes with Peyton. I was wondering if uh, I don't know he was bitten by a zombie or. <laughs> uh, well, I won't tell you that, but you might see him again. Oh, good, good. Uh, everybody's got to wonder about Brody. Is Brody okay? <laughs> <laughs> Is he still scoring? <laughs> uh, I mean. I can't – I don't want to live in a world where Brody's not still scoring. <laughs> Brody, uh, as, as I'm sure you know, is a, is a very um, in-demand young actor these days. Oh, yeah. You know, 13 Reasons Why, yep. among other things. Uh, we were not able to get him back for season four. Um, so his fate is, uh, is still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got, he was in um, 217. Um, so I get to meet him and, and see him work on set. And I, I'd be, as I think many people that work for us and that watch the show, um, would also be very excited to see uh, him back in the fold in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, if you were to say it, like, this fictional character, Brody, is he okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, okay is a subjective term. Uh, <laughs> but I think if anyone can be okay... Right. No matter what's going on in the world around them, it's That's true. <laughs> uh, my next one is Brant Stone. Is Brant Stone okay? <laughs> yeah, Brant Stone, uh, again, an- another guy that, that he, he'll just, like a cockroach, he'll just survive and adapt. Uh, <laughs> so Brant Stone is still around. And we, we do get to see him in season four. Um, awesome. I think we shit. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. It's been so long. Nope, that's an I, exclusive right here. Ken Marino is returning. <laughs> He, he may be in the background. We may not see him, but <laughs> we'll have to re-edit and reshoot some stuff uh, if I'm mistaken. But yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. he's still around. Awesome. Um, Lou Benedetto, uh, Rico Colantoni plays him. Sweet, sweet Lou. Yeah, he's still around. Um, Rico actually uh, directed an episode this season. I think it's 409. Great. Uh, a really really fun episode for him um and he does uh he does reprise his role so look forward to that excellent because i've always wondered if he was uh if he got uh you know in trouble with eternal affairs maybe we'll find out more about that um there's yeah, a- i mean i sorry go ahead no go ahead please i was just gonna say i feel like uh in a in a real world scenario uh especially these days i feel like uh, he would not have escaped that whole case unscathed. Oh yeah. But I think he is, uh, he's a guy who knows how to work the system to his advantage. So, um, I won't give too much away, but you know, he's, when we do see him in season four, he doesn't seem to have changed his behavior significantly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Speaking of, uh, uh, loose threads, uh, I always wondered about Cher who was in, um, eternal sunshine of the, Caffeinated mine. Yeah. <laughs> she got uh, away. She's like one of the criminals that actually got away. Uh, right. As I, I mean, recall, she was on her way to France, wasn't she? Did yeah. That? Yeah, I know. I just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I wonder if there's ever a <laughs> thought about revisiting that character and, 
Casey Knowles is a big actress. So. Yeah, we loved uh, we loved what she did. I, I know, like I obviously, I never want to speak for Robin Dan, and they're the ones who make all the big decisions along yeah. with our producers. But uh, I think I think everyone was very uh, happy with uh, what she did with that role, and with anyone that we um, any of the actors that we've had on is you know when we're working on an episode, we usually don't think of them as like when we when we had Scott E uh, in season one. We weren't thinking so far ahead that we knew he was going to have a twin named Donnie, but anyone that we like that much that, you know, is, is booked for a role that seems to be just tied to the one case. If we have an opportunity that's organic and makes sense to bring them back, then we always try to. And it's great for, you know, just sort of the world building of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if they happen to be from Vancouver, that makes things a lot easier on us because that's where we shoot. Um, as far as her specifically, there's been no discussion as of yet as to how or when we might bring her back. I would just say that for anybody um, that, that we've liked that much, uh, it's, it's always an option. It's just a question of like, you know, in what context does it make sense? Hmm. Um, so, you know, in Europe living that, you know, talented Mr. Ripley life or whatever. I've actually <laughs> yeah. never seen that movie, so I don't know if no, uh, reference. But. Perfect reference. <laughs> Good, good. Uh, well, how about Pam, the, the very outspoken Pam? <laughs> oh, Pam. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think Pam is making making New Seattle work for. Her. Uh, I don't nice. know that we're season four. Uh, <laughs> um, Rachel, uh, Elsa Cannon's character, she okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's well. You know, she had a she, she's morally compromised. Uh, uh, I would say, um, and uh, and we do we do see her again. In season four. Yeah. Uh, how about Vampire Steve? Is he not a vampire anymore? Is he a zombie now? Uh, <laughs> zombie vampire, Steve? <laughs> vampire Steve, uh, you will see um, on multiple occasions in season four. Ooh, cool. Uh, we, uh, we love what that actor did. I'm sorry, the actor's name escapes me right now, but Ket absolutely. Turton. Sorry, what's his name? Ket Turton. Ket Turton. Uh, so what he did with that role in his first episode just blew us all away. We, it, like the whole writer's room was immediately in love with that character. Um, so whenever we can, you know, he's in a category, um, similar to Jimmy, the sketch artist. Like if we, you know, can bring these guys back in, in our, uh, police investigations, which obviously, you know, there, there are multiple opportunities for that sort of thing, depending on the case in question. Uh, we, we always like to have. Um, fun revisiting those guys. So you'll definitely see both of them again this season. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask about Jimmy. Um, how about uh, Teenage Zombies, Tatum and Patrice? Uh, I think they are rotting in a Fillmore Graves uh, prison. I shouldn't <laughs> say rotting because they, they have a different type of prison at Fillmore Graves, but um, they, uh, <laughs> they're, they're not going to be um, set free anytime soon given what they, what they try to do, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, any chance we might see Eva and Evan this season? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm giving stuff away, but I, I think um, oh, you don't have general, to say. <laughs> well, I, I think the I think the family's still a bit on the back burner there. Okay. Uh, there's always you know it's it's always a struggle you know um, trying to find room for the different storylines and. It's there's just so much going on um, with Liv otherwise that it, it's really hard to you know you don't want to just revisit the family at this point for right. uh, 
oh hey how's it going yeah. um you want you want to build in uh, a storyline that explains you know uh, whether they've reconciled and all that stuff and unfortunately there just hasn't been enough room with all like you know our shows are so our episodes are so jam-packed and yeah, our seasons yeah. are so jam-packed with everything that I mean, i've talked about enough characters have, here that will fill an entire season so <laughs> yeah yeah understandable <laughs> In a perfect world, uh, we would satisfy the you know the the fans that are out there still wondering what's up with uh, Liv's relationship with her mother and brother after the events of season one. Yeah, I'm afraid it's, it's just something that had to stay on the back burner. Uh, and my last my last uh, person I need to ask about is not a person. He is a dog, and his name is Minor. Is Minor okay? <laughs> Miner's doing great. There is no dog on the face planet uh, living a better life than Miner is right now on his farm that he traveled to by city bus. So don't don't worry about Miner. He's doing all right. Okay. I don't know if I mean, you've heard this story before from just from anyone else's interviews or if we talked about it before, but <laughs> little known insider fact of of uh, zombie. Miner the dog had the biggest droopiest balls of any dog that has ever lived. Um, I don't know if like the angles that we shot him at yeah. or, or revealed that to our audience, but that I mean, honestly, I don't know how that guy walks around. <laughs> well, hopefully, he's relaxing. You know, he's got yeah, a nice big a good time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So got a lot of space to run. what's that? I said he's got a lot of space to roam, so he, he's happy. Yeah, he's not on like a farm though, right? It's not—we're not talking doggy farm, right? <laughs> he's alive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's good to go. All right, so some uh, more specific season four questions, and this might be when you start batting them away like flies. Uh, but I'll go—I'll <laughs> go through them. Uh, All right. Any hints to whether or not Robbie is a zombie? Like. The trailer shows him with what looks like a white streak and also chomping into a brain at one point. And for some reason, he's suddenly comfortably nude in front of Liv, Major, and Clive. Can you provide any sort of explanation about any of that? (laughs) I mean, you said, is is there any hints as to whether or not Robbie's a zombie? I feel like those are all hints that uh, that you just from the trailer. Um, I will not give away anything about Ravi. I will say that that question uh, as to whether or not the vaccine worked at the end of season three is a- answered and it's answered in episode one. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't expect any more than that. Uh, <laughs> um, the Weckler case uh, was actually really interesting how it stretched over several episodes. Are there going to be any cases that kind of stretch over a few episodes like that one? Uh, let me think. I mean, there's definitely serialized uh, storyline mm-hmm. as far as actual investigations. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we, like early in the season, we have a two part episode, our first um, non finale two part episode. Nice. Um, so that I mean, obviously the case stretches there. Uh, I, yeah, I feel like I, I just I can't quite remember enough to answer this accurately. I, I think there, yeah, there's I mean, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple events that happen one episode that bleed into the case for the next episode. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a bit of, I don't think there's anything that like the Weckler case, I feel like stretched over like five or six episodes, didn't it? Yeah. Well, when it originally ended, I mean the, the first part of it ended in the uh, dominatrix episode, it was very, it was very weird. But then like when it came back up, it was like, Oh, okay. That's why it was weird because it wasn't actually over. 
and it seemed to be wrapped up really quick, but it wasn't actually over. So that was uh, we don't we don't go back to that specific well, as far as I recall. But I mean, mm-hmm. as with other seasons, there's a ton of stuff that um, you know that serialized arcs that carry. I mean, there's there's one or two that um, carry from you know the, the sort of beginnings of the story uh, are, are sort of laid out in the first two three episodes, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not resolved until the you know last couple acts of the finale. So there's there's definitely still like a huge serialized element i don't think we stretch any cases as far as we did with Wackler, but there's there's definitely a few that sort of bleed from one episode to the to the next yeah um i've read in some of the interviews that um zombies are going to be paired with detectives much like uh clive and live um right. which is just a, a a cool new setup for new seattle um right and and uh i was watching um good bar and uh, Liv tells Chase in that episode that she's Harley's alibi because she had a vision of him outside the house when Wally and his family are being murdered. Uh, I'm just wondering, is there going to be like a new way that New Seattle has alibis and witnesses, <laughs> you know, when you have zombies who are eating the brains of murdered people? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, um like it's a it's a whole new world, obviously. So that mm-hmm. you know the implications and ramifications are are too um, far reaching for me to try and list off here. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the way that cases are investigated, I mean the cat's out of the bag now, right? So you got first of all you've got um, Clive's uh, stellar record of solving murders. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone understands why now, and that he had sort of a an unfair advantage. So he gets a, sh- a bit of shit from his fellow cops about that. Um, but then we do have, um, you know, the rest of the police department sort of um, copying the, you know, the strategy, I guess, that, that Liv and Clive uh, initiated. Um, wow, so he, we've should got- be like, he should be like top cop now. Even in this new scenario, Clive still gets uh, gets shit on by his police officers. I, he, it, it's a bit of both, right? Like he, yeah. he was kind of the, I guess, the pioneer of what's now status quo so he's got more experience uh, you know in sort of uh working cases with zombies than his other cops who are now just sort of learning how that all works but he also uh to their minds i think kind of cheated um in becoming in becoming the you know the number one solver of all, all cases uh, because he had an advantage like being on steroids in baseball you know he had a he had performance enhancing live um, so he, uh, you know, he just, it, it's cop stuff, right? They always want to break each other's balls about things. And, and so he takes a bit of good natured shit from them. Um, but yeah, everybody, uh, all the Seattle PD detectives now are paired up with a zombie. So we don't, you know, we don't follow other, um, detectives or anything like that, but there is some interplay with that new relationship. And obviously with, uh, with Basio being a zombie now too, there's, um, you know, there's the added element, the added dynamic of having her uh, um, involved in some of the cases as well. Yeah. I So, I mean, I just think of who would she be paired up with. Naturally, it'd have to be Clive. So would that does that interrupt his and Liv's relationship or is that asking too much? <laughs> well, no, they um, – I, I don't – there's certainly always going to be uh, conflict, I guess, yeah. you know, in, in those situations where you've got um, – you know, you've got established dynamics that are sort of upended, but uh, they do not pair up. Um, she, she's paired up with a different detective. 
okay. uh, you know, just because Clive, if, I mean, I, I don't know what the real world sort of uh, uh, reasoning or rationale behind that would be, but for us, it's just like we're not going to break up that team. That's true, yeah. Of living. Yeah. Okay. Um, what kind of challenges uh, does Peyton face as uh, the new chief of staff here this season? Oh, you name it. Everything. <laughs> the, whole, the whole city is gone to shit. Um, not entirely true, but it's going to shit. Let's say. It is a messed up situation they now find themselves in, and, and there are all kinds of problems that sort of fall to to her office. Um, so she's, I mean, she's Peyton, so she's handling shit. But anyone else, I think, would be underwater in that job, you know, because yeah. there's there's the business of running the city. There's the business of of running a city um, with you know like pretty intense conflict all over the place. Um, and then there's the fact that nobody's ever, there's no template for this, right? Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever tried to hold the country hostage to feed the 10,000 zombies that they made without their permission. So there are all kinds of, uh, unhappy factions within Seattle, both zombie and human. Um, and, and just on top of the day-to-day operations of running any major city, which would be stressful enough as it is, you've got all this extra shit she's got to deal with. Um, and, you know, Baracus, uh, I, I can't speak to his mayoral abilities in depth, but we've seen him enough to know that he's got other interests uh, that, that may not be um, the most ethical, hardest working politician in the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, falls to Peyton and it impacts her in a, in a variety of ways that we hope people find interesting in terms of like a it's a new dimension for that character, you know. So, uh, Peyton for mayor then, right? <laughs> She's going to take the job. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I mean, I'd vote Peyton for president at this point. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a way. Um, in the, uh, teaser for this week's episode, as well as in the synopsis, it seems that Major's got a uh, teen patrol of like young homeless zombies. There's a whole quote in the teaser that says, our goal here is to prevent the formation of zombie street gangs. Can you, can you tell us about that at all? Yeah. I mean, I think that just goes along with, um, what I was saying, uh, earlier in response to your Peyton question mm-hmm. that, you know, there's all kinds of, um, issues in terms of keeping all the zombies fed and, and just in terms of zombie relations. And so among the, uh, you know, among the 10,000 new zombies are some kids who were just going in to get inoculated for the illusion flu and came out zombies. And, and if their parents didn't get inoculated, didn't become zombies, uh, you know, there's, there are some, uh, people who no longer want to associate with their kids, no longer want them in the house, um, for safety reasons, discriminatory reasons um and so there, there are some kids that are just sort of uh newly homeless and and looking for their place in the world i guess as most kids do but in this mm-hmm. case specifically because they're now dead uh, and you know there's also uh, uh there's some difficulties in terms of um feeding the zombie population that the resources of fill more graves in terms of the, the brain tubes are, are a little bit strained when we open the season mm-hmm. um and so there is this kind of action of uh, zombie delinquency, I guess you could call it, um, that threatens to, uh, you know, become a, a, a difficult problem for Fillmore Graves and for the city of Seattle to manage. And the solution that they, uh, you know, that they approach it with in the, in the first couple episodes is to take Major, who has, uh, you know, worked himself up to, you know, become a bit of a, um, 
a big deal on the Fillmore Great Campus and also has experience working with troubled youth, um, you know, that he might be the guy to sort of spearhead this uh, um, uh, this strategy, I guess, to get to get these kids off the streets and to get them working in, in sort of, uh, you know, in some, some sort of functional capacity for Fillmore Graves. Yeah, and it's it's I love it because it's 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 so perfectly major. Obviously, major is going to be working with the kids, and uh, I was just thinking of this nightmare scenario where um, uh, Blaine finally meets his end by being murdered by a bunch of runaway uh, teenage zombies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this season four, but um, so who exactly is running New Seattle? Is it Fillmore Graves or is it Mayor Barakas and the Seattle PD? Well, I think we, um, you know, we, we play that sort of conflict throughout season four, but ultimately Fillmore Graves has the weapons mm-hmm. uh, and controls the, you know, the food supply for the zombies. So uh, they are the de facto, um, you know, people in charge of, of New Seattle. Uh, the mayor's office certainly still has its areas of authority, um, but when it comes down to it, uh, when there's, you know, real big calls to be made uh, that affect the fate of uh, the zombie population, especially uh, I think the mayor's office defers to Fillmore Graves. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, I'm wondering how like stable Fillmore Graves is. I, again, in the season finale, um, right before Chase uh, shoots Carrie Gold, she says there are more of us. And then, you know, then Chase puts her down. So I, I'll say, I'll say, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to give too much away there, but yeah. Um, but yes, that is the nature of this paramilitary operation. There are always going to be people with different ideas of how this authoritarian uh, entity should be run. Uh-huh. So that is a, a big part of what Chase has to deal with. And he's got a lot of shit on his plate um, throughout the season as well, uh, in a not dissimilar way to, to what Peyton has to deal with. Um, but with more uh, tools at his disposal to kind of shape the trajectory of, um, you know, where, where New Seattle goes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there, is, uh, there is an element of that throughout the season of people sort of questioning his leadership. Um, and that is all I want to say about that. Okay. Um, Basio came back to Seattle because she was working on the Russian hacker case, which uh, I'm not sure if was a uh, – a nod at real events or not, but <laughs> um, are, is there any more of that or is obviously zombie outbreak in New Seattle might be more pressing? <laughs> uh, I think the, I think there are other matters that are more pressing. I think yeah. that case is, if, um, if I'm not mistaken, there was a department in the FBI that sort of uh, took over um, and maybe that was her department, but I, I think that's still with them. Okay. Uh, so no, no dangling thread there, but she definitely has, uh, has a lot to do this season otherwise. All right, so for the shippers, I got to ask you about our couples here, or and people that have broken up or whatever. But so starting off with Basio, is it, how is Basano doing? Hashtag Basano. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, difficult for them. They, you know, it's a um, it's a relationship in which um, uh, sex is off the table, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, unless uh, Clive is willing to become a zombie, and so that is. Um, that's where we find them. And, and obviously there's a lot of sort of inherent conflict there. Uh, I won't get into how or if, or when it gets resolved, but, mm-hmm. um, but that's the sort of jumping off point. That's where we find them. Uh, you know, I think the season begins about three months after the end of season three. 
So that's where we find them, trying to navigate those waters and, and sort of figure it out as they go. It's another situation where they just don't really have a template for it. Um, yeah. They're both kind of fishing in the dark there. But, um, yeah, that's certainly uh, something we address and, and deal with in an ongoing way at the beginning of the season. And what about Ravi and Peyton? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a love for the ages. So, uh <laughs> Uh, there's, there's obviously in any relationship, there's ups and downs and, and whatnot, but they are, um, I will say that they're, they're not going to fall into the same trap as last year. Okay, cool. How's that? That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we repeat a storyline from season three. I don't know how obligatory <laughs> that is, but, uh, yeah. Right. Um, uh, how about, uh, well, is it going to be live and major or is it going to be live versus major? What's that relationship like? Uh, I'm going to go with a no comment there. Okay. <laughs> definitely. I mean, they're still a huge part of each other's lives. Um, but uh, more than that, I do not want to say. What's going on with Justin? Where's Justin? Is he going to be a part of this season or not? Or uh, he, again, I don't want to give too much away, but sure. I, I, think, I think that was, uh, you know, with what happened at the end of last season, uh, where he was the Fillmore Graves soldier who kind of had a had a bead on her when she was uh, she was sneaking into the school, yeah. um, and and he made the choice to uh, alert the rest of the troops and go after her. And then at the end, when he uh, you know ordered everyone to open fire on the uh, the mob of mm-hmm. humans that came after them, I think that uh, says a lot about um, uh, you know where where Justin's head is at uh, or what at the end of season three. So I don't know that we'll see much of him. Any, uh, awkwardness with live and chase <laughs> or sex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I find the awkwardness incredibly sexy. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Probably more about <laughs> the characters on our show, but, uh, there's definitely more interaction between them. Uh, and I, cool. I won't give any, anything more away than that. Um, I will say, you know, you don't have to comment on it, but Rose did say in a Collider interview that she's getting a new boyfriend. His name is Levon Patch. And uh, do you want to comment on that at all? Or uh, Well, I just tend to agree with everything Rose says. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a lowly uh, writer on staff, and she's number one on the call sheet. Uh, all right. so that's all true. That's all true. Uh, played by Daniel Bonjour, who... I may have pronounced that a little too French. Um, if so, I apologize. That's my, <laughs> my Canadian upbringing. Um, he is fantastic. I met him when I was up there. Uh, he does a really, really great job. Um, I, I love Lowell. I get why fans are upset about Lowell. I think um, I think this is another... Uh, not, he, he won't make people forget about Lowell, but I think this is another, um, you know, in our, in our line of uh, Liv's boyfriends that people will be very charmed by. Cool. And I bring up Lowell because he's a little closer in terms of that wry sense of humor, um, you know, to, to Lowell than he is to say Justin or, uh, or Drake. Yeah. Uh, so I think it gives them a lot of, um, a lot of nice room to interact together. You know, it's, uh, it's got a certain collective charm to it. Um, and yeah, um, if I keep talking, I'm probably just going to give shit away. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us anything about the character of Levon? Um, I can tell you that he is ideologically aligned with Liv, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, and that he's um, t- 
tonally, I guess, or in terms of his, uh, his sense of humor and his, um, just the, the way he has about them. He's, um, sort of in line with, uh, with most of our core characters. He's got that kind of wry, sarcastic thing going. Um, so there's a lot of good, uh, there's a lot of good sort of comedic interaction. Um, but he's also, you know, with everything that's going on, he's not immune to, um, having some sort of heavier, um, moments and, and uh, heavier plot lines to play. So it's kind of a nice mix of you've got, you've got uh, like a great sort of chemistry between them and sort of lighter romantic moments between them. But the backdrop is just so uh, heavy and, and sort of uh, earth shattering that they're, they're both kind of dealing with the ramifications of new Seattle together. Yeah. Levon patch is such an odd name. Is there any, did that come from something like sometimes the names are inspired by things. I have no idea. You got to ask. Uh, you got to ask Rob about that one. I think originally we named him some weird Scandinavian name as, as a placeholder, and I don't remember why we did that either. I think it was some football player, but it's, the memory is kind of escaping me. Um, but I honestly don't know. I think I think maybe Rob's a, a big fan of that Elton John song, uh, and I, I think it just amused him. We didn't have a last name for the longest time, and finally we had to come up with one. And I think we we tried a few, and they didn't clear for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, I think it just tickles him to uh, to have the name be Levon Patch. <laughs> yeah, Steph and I are always, you know, we're always happy to give our names to one of the characters if you guys need to use it. We'll sign away our names. It's totally fine. <laughs> Even if it's a dead body. <laughs> I don't uh, I'll pass that along. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you tell us anything about Isabel? Well, I, I don't know how much is out there about Isabel. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I would say that she, the actress who plays her, is, is a very talented young lady uh, who gives a, a phenomenal performance across a few episodes. And uh, she definitely has a, um, a, a big place in our hero's hearts. Cool. cool. <laughs> this is big. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to give you something without giving anything away. But <laughs> Yeah, her but interviews yeah. say that she, she, she can't say much, but she works a lot with Liv and Ravi. That's all she would say. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that is true. And, and it's probably wise that uh, both she and I don't say much about that okay. character because uh, it will get a bit spoilery, but, uh, sure. but she, I mean, she's great. And, uh, and I think people are going to be really invested in her storyline. So she is obviously Liv and Ravi's love child from the future. That's come back to save new Seattle. That, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's possible. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't get this from any sort of uh, news report or anything like that, but this is just me scanning IMDb cast credits because I'm a nerd. Uh, but there's a cast uh, – there's a um, character name that keeps popping up on IMDb, and it's Captain Seattle. Can you tell me anything about this Captain Seattle? Um, sure. I can okay. tell you that he is, uh, he's one of Major's guys. Um, okay. You know, one of the kids that uh, didn't really have any place to go after they were turned into a zombie and, and you know, Major sort of takes him under his wing. Uh, and he's called Captain Seattle um, as a sort of a nod to uh, some Marvel comic. We're in DC <laughs> comics, so I don't know these Marvel characters, but apparently there's a Captain something. Oh, oh you mean Captain Marvel? You mean sh- like in the Shazam comics? <laughs> Uh, I possibly, I don't know. Captain, Captain some geographical location. I think. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's sort of like a, a bit of a boy scout, you know? So, oh, cool. uh, that's where his name comes from and, and, uh, we meet him. So, 
Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure if we were going to get into the superhero stuff again, or, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, not this season with the vigilantes. You mean not not this season? But that's another uh, super fun episode that um, it would be interesting to revisit and see like what their you know what their uh, role is to play, if any, in uh, in this Seattle that's overrun by zombies. Huh. Um. Okay, so what kind of trouble is uh, Blaine going to get into this season? What, what, what's, what's this uh, place Romero's we're hearing about? Well, Romero's is a, uh, a fine dining establishment. <laughs> um, cemetery to table brains uh, on the old um, location of Shady Plot's funeral home. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, in a way, I think we've, we've compared um, the scratching post to this as well, but you know, in a way, we sort of see Blaine in New Seattle as a bit of a Rick from Casablanca, you know, kind of a power broker of sorts, uh, a guy who can who can get you things on the black market. Um, and and because of that, his, uh, you know, his criminal operations are, are sort of allowed to exist, um, you know, with the people that might otherwise be able to uh, to put a stop to it. So you know, Blaine's a Blaine's a survivor, and he's a um, he's a guy who knows how to take advantage of a of a situation, and so that that's those traits are in full effect uh, with New Seattle, and so we'll see. A, we have a bunch of scenes at Romero's, um, you know, where uh, for instance, uh, you know, the mayor might show up for a for a dinner once a week and mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of get treated um, as the VIP he, he wishes to be. Uh, by Blaine and Donnie and everybody, um, so it's a it's a place where the I guess the zombie one percenters uh, socialize. I'm assuming there's a, a spare piano nearby, just in case Blaine gets any sort of uh, inspiration. <laughs> I honestly don't remember if there's a piano in there. I feel like we must have him singing. What an oversight it would be if we don't have him singing at all this season. But I feel like we must. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, the new writers. We have three new writers, uh, Dean Laurie, Chelsea Catalanato and Heather V. Renier. I hope I pronounced everybody right. Can you tell me anything right. about what, what they're offering? They, they write any episodes or are they just a part of the yeah. writer's room? No, everyone, everyone writes an episode at least. Uh, Heather actually did the two parter, oh, um, cool. which is great. Um, I don't want to give too much away about that either, but I think mm-hmm. fans of comedies will very much enjoy that episode as will fans of professional wrestling. Um, <laughs> and that's a, that's a great one. Uh, Heather is fantastic, super funny, really great writer. Um, so that's, uh, that was her contribution. And Chelsea wrote the episode I mentioned earlier that, uh, Rico Colantoni, uh, directed. Um, that's a pretty funny one. I, I don't, I feel like it's too late in the season for me to give away spoilers about what happens or what oh, brain sure. is on. Um, but a very fun episode as well. Very funny. Uh, and Dean, uh, Dean is the most decorated of the bunch. He, uh, actually used to work on Arrested Development. Yeah. Um, and he wrote the second episode of the season, uh, which I think there's, there's media out for already. Oh yeah. Blue Bloody. Uh, Blue Bloody, yeah, and, and I'm sure you've seen the pictures. Liv plays a sort of an old. Uh, I'm not sure if dowager is the right word. Every time someone says dowager, I think of the the Maggie Smith character from Downton Abbey, and it's not exactly that, but it, it's an old, it's an old rich uh, biddy, you know. Um, and and that is a hilarious episode uh, in which Rose gives um, just a. There's so many 
like just pitch perfect comic moments from her little touches that she has to that character. So she Rose may be an old dowager biddy at heart for all we know, but she nails that. Uh, people are going to have to get to that one. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been posting uh, screen caps with quotes, getting everybody yeah. excited about the new season or getting myself excited as I'm doing my rewatch. And I swear every single time I take a screen cap of Rose, when she's doing a character, like you can see that screen cap out of context and know what brain she's on. That's how good Rose is. <laughs> she, yeah, she's phenomenal. And, and the ability to do that on our schedule too, yeah. is pretty amazing because, you know, you like we go up to set, the writers do um, for two days of pre-production and, and two days of production. And so for the first two days that we're up there, they're shooting the end of the previous episode and you might wander down a set just to say hi to people or whatever. And so, you know, you walk down there and she's, you know, she's on whatever brain she's on. And then two days later, she's on a totally different brain. And to be able to turn that over while having to learn the amount of dialogue she has to learn. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal workload in, uh, and I don't think there's too many people out there that can do it the way she does. They can pull it off the way she does. Um, so yeah. And I, and I think honestly, uh, this is not just some bullshit because it happens to be season four coming out now, but I think season four um, has a succession of brains that uh, both are, are just sort of the most fun in general and offer Rose the, you know, the chance to really, um, to really dig in uh, in a super fun way. Um, so I think people are going to be, I, I hope anyway, that our audience is, is very happy with the, uh, you know, the, the sort of sweet spot I think we found with, with her and the brains for, uh, for season four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, some of the things that have leaked and some of the things people uh, they've tweeted about from the set and just looking at this list of uh, episode titles I have in front of me that I have every episode title except for the finale, which is a mystery, you know, but they all look like they're just going to be a ton of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to each and every one of these episodes. Yeah, they should be great. Um, Hmm. I'm mostly looking forward to mine, which I've seen several times now, but, um, it's, like probably it's, it's early, but probably going to be nominated for an Emmy. Watch so for that. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we should tell everybody it's episode five. It's Goonstruck, and we've got hockey player brain. Do you want to give any sort of teases for episode five at all from, at, at this point? Uh, just that uh, what you said, and it's a it's a, um, a hockey player who's known for fighting. For those that aren't familiar with the term goon. <laughs> Um, Liv is, is sort of ready throughout the episode to drop the gloves, uh, at any moment. Um, and the, the character also hails from Canada. Uh, so we get a, a little bit of fun with some Canadian humor, which obviously being from Canada, uh, is something that I, that I took a lot of pride and enjoy in. Um, and Liv also, um, you know, is on skates herself. It's not, I mean, there, there's some stunt work, uh, in, in the episode, but we get, Rose on skate. She, I guess she grew up figure skating, um, you know, into her teens or something like that, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was so game for all of that stuff, which isn't like, that's not an easy day to spend, you know, in the confines of a, of a hockey rink in Richmond, British Columbia, but, uh, she's pretty game for it. So was the whole crew. Um, and so that sequence is super fun, but, uh, you know, the whole episode is, a, I think a lot of fun just for me personally, like, I mean, she's. I think there there are so many ways to take uh, these brains and, and to find comedic uh, possibilities in these brains. And I think Rose does an excellent job with all of them. I always sort of like whenever we're thinking in the abstract of 
reins that she should be on going forward. I always get amused by the idea of, you know, sort of um, tiny, cute Rose, uh, you know, charming, sweet Rose, um, tussling with the with the big, bad macho guys. Yeah. Um, you know, the episode Kung Fu in season one, I got a big kick out of. <laughs> and I always see the pitch stuff in that neighborhood. Um, you know, for this episode, I think I was pitching a boxer for a while. And just, yeah. just wanted to see her with that sort of bravado and, you know, standing up to some guy who was like six, five, 220 pounds. Yeah. Wasn't uh, it, wasn't it reflections where in the teaser, she's still on stripper brain and she takes down one of, uh, Mr. Boss's henchmen or maybe that was right. a different yeah. episode. No, you got it. Exactly. Right. That's the one. Um, yeah, that was a great scene behind closed doors, but you get the idea that she's, she's tooled them. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, getting to see her in that context, uh, I think, if we did it every episode might get a little redundant, but, uh, yeah. but to do it every in a while is something I get a huge kick out of. So I, I was really uh, happy that we elected to go with that goon brain, which by the way, uh, Diane Ruggiero, Wright, The co-creator of the show and myself have been dying to do since before I zombie was even picked up to series. Um, and we pitched it over and over again in different contexts and it just never, it never quite felt right. But this season, um, not only myself with that episode, but a lot of the writers who've been around for a few years, we, we kind of got to do our, like our dream brains or our brains that sort of most fit our own personalities. Uh, and in a lot of cases, these are brains that we have been pitching for two or three years. And again, a variety of contexts and they've just never, uh, they've just never worked out with, with whatever else is happening in a given episode. Um, and this year there was just a succession of like four or five in a row where it was like, yep, that's the one that, you know, such and such a writer always wanted to do and should be doing. And, uh, and I think you see the payoff in that too, you know, and just the, the detail I think and the nuance is a little bit, uh, fuller when we're writing stuff that, that is right in our kitchen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just, these characters are, we've been with them for now, you know, three years and, it's just amazing to throw them in these different situations, especially with these different brains and uh, awesome. And, and it's cool that um, I, you know, you, you hinted that in brainless in Seattle, there's going to be, you know, another double brain. So that'll be fun too. Um, seeing me yeah. get in on it. So cool. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away about that, except yeah. that it might be, um, it might seem that I laughed the most during in the course of the, uh, the four seasons by zombies. <laughs> It is on. He's on for that episode, and Major's on for his on. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, um, I won't trouble you any longer. We, I'm hoping to get you back here for uh, Goonstruck to talk about Goonstruck when it airs. So I, I would be happy to. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Well, um, uh, Bob Dearden, thank you so much for stopping by the Eye Zombie Podcast. Thank you, Robin. Always fun to chat with you, and uh, thank you so much for you and Steph for the continued support. Um, I really think that you and our audience are going to love what's coming up on season four, uh, and I and I hope I'm right about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I from what we're hearing, you're most assuredly right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robin Yero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net. 
slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, friend of the show Cheyenne contributes with photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombieLove. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!